0: Who was your hero when you were a kid? Did you have a hero that you can think of, remember? Did you try to emulate this person, be like them, do things that they did? You know, we read a lot of books and watch a lot of movies, don't we, and they have heroes. And we idolize those heroes. Um, These days, the comic books are very popular, aren't they? And so a lot of kids. Maybe not this year, but usually they dress up for Halloween and a lot of, a lot of them dress up as comic book superheroes don't they and walk around and get their candy they want to be like them and they imagine uh, doing the things that they do but of course they have super superpowers superhuman abilities don't they they're not like you and I you and I and Usually children realize this and don't try to do the same superhuman things, try, don't try to attempt them. However, every once in a while you hear of a, a story of a child who tries to do something, tries to do the superpower that the superhero has. And it could be something like trying to fly, like Bat, Batman, yeah, <laughs> uh, like uh, Superman, there we go. Um, It could be uh, trying to climb up the wall, like Spider-Man, right? So as you can imagine, it doesn't turn out too well. And sadly, I did a little Google search and I found that there are a number of children who actually hurt themselves very badly, some even died, uh, trying to do what their hero, their superhero does in the comics. So it can be a deadly mistake. To have unrealistic understanding of your own weaknesses. Now, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it doesn't give us um, an idealized portrait of the saints, of the characters in the Bible. But we see them warts and all. We see their sin. We read about King David, didn't we today? Um, Pastor Jay read for us, and. Imagine that he, King, King David was, not only did he commit adultery, but he committed murder, how wicked. And we see that not just with King David, but um, with all the merely human characters, people in the Bible. So it's not what we call hagiography. You know, Sometimes you read a story and, uh, or even history that's written in such a way that makes the person look perfect. But the Bible's not like that. It gives us a reality, a real portrait. And that's why it's so stunning, the picture it gives us of the Lord Jesus, because out of all the people in the Bible, the Lord Jesus is the only one who's sinless, sinless in his perfection. And we know that that in itself is a, is a powerful argument for the exist, uh, for the deity divinity of Christ. Now, in today's passage, we see a stark contrast between, on the one hand, Peter and his denial, and on the other hand, the Lord Jesus, and his refusal to deny God, and his faithfulness. So we want to keep that in mind as we look at this passage. We have these these, these two that are being compared, contrasted, Now, like the child who wants to be like the superhero, I think that's kind of what Peter is doing here. He's following after Christ, but he's trying to almost do what only Christ is able to do. Remember that he had insisted back in chapter 13 that he would follow. He said, I will follow you, Christ, and I will lay my life down for you. And of course, we know that only Jesus, he's the one who needs to lay his life down. He's the one who laid his life down for us. And he even told Peter, you're going to deny me uh, three times before the rooster crows. So this is the main thing we want to see in the text today. A fall occurs when a disciple attempts to follow Christ to Calvary. In other words, when he tries to do what only Christ can do. So first of all, when a disciple tries to follow Christ to Calvary, when he tries to do what only Christ can do, he falls into spiritual danger. Let's look again at verse 15. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood... Outside at the door, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and Spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in So notice first of all that Simon Peter um, Followed you remember what had happened when Christ was arrested initially um, That all the disciples had scattered and ran away out of fear. But here we see that apparently a couple of them, Peter, and then it says another disciple, uh, followed him after that. So it's important to understand that Peter was still a disciple. Peter was, still had a love for Christ in some form. He's following him. He's concerned about what happens to him. And who is this other disciple? Now, usually, traditionally, it's thought that this was John, the human author of the gospel, right? But there is a bit of a problem with that. Now, why do we think that um, when you look at the gospel of John, you notice that he doesn't refer to himself directly. He's always referring to himself indirectly. Um, In one spot, he calls himself the disciple that the Lord Loved All right? so there's a kind of modesty to him and that he doesn't want to name himself And so that's why it's usually thought that he's talking about uh, Himself here But there's there is a small problem with that because this look at the place that this other disciple has here It says that this other disciple somehow knew the high priest and The high priest obviously is a very high-ranking official. Well, who's John? Well, John's, first of all, he's not from Jerusalem. The disciples are from Galilee, right? Kind of out in the boonies, out in the sticks. Uh, as we call them in Korean, right? <laughs> and also, he was a fisherman. So it's not like the highest position in life. So How in the world might he have connection, some connection with the high priest? And so you'll read some commentators. They say, well, it can't be John. Um, So they think, well, perhaps it was Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus who we read about elsewhere in the Gospels, right? Because those guys, they lived in Jerusalem and they're of high standing. It's easy to understand how they might know a high priest, but John, it's not so easy. Well, um, I do think it's best to read this, understand this as being John. if we look a little bit closer, we see that, um, like in the Gospel of Mark, it says that John's father had servants. So perhaps he wasn't quite as from quite as humble a background um, as we at first thought. Um, and also, uh, the tradition says that John is from a priestly family. So that makes sense that there could be the connection here, that he would know the high priestly family as well. At any rate, it's it doesn't mattered too much to the story. But Peter had proclaimed, remember, that he would follow Jesus, that he would lay down his life for him. He had this prideful overconfidence, thinking that he could do it on his own power, his own strength. And so it's with this spirit that he follows after Jesus. And you can think of it as falling in, into a den of lions because this courtyard that he entered here was full of the enemies of Christ, opposed to God, haters of God, attacking attacking Christ. Now surely Peter had good intentions, but we know that good intentions don't always pan out. In fact, often don't. And so Peter's act here in falling in this way, was you can see it as a kind of unfounded cockiness to run where, and rush in where, as a fool, where angels fear to tread, as the saying goes. Um, and remember that the Lord Jesus had expressly told him, you cannot follow me now. You'll follow me later, but you can't, you can't follow me now. And you're going to deny me. But Peter, he ignored that. He ignored that. He, he was sure of his own ability to withstand the persecution, the temptation. He was sure of his own ability to face these evil forces opposed to Christ. Now, I think of a little boy. Maybe you remember a few years back, um, there was a terrible incident that happened at a zoo with um, a massive gorilla. Named Harambe. Uh, They make a lot of memes about it. (laughs) But, anyways, there was this little boy. He was three years old. And this little boy, he saw Harambe and he wanted to go in to the cage. And so he climbed, uh, apparently, climbed quite a lot of, quite a tall wall to get inside the cage with this huge giant gorilla, uh, Harambe. And sadly, Harambe, they had to shoot him because they're afraid he's going to hurt or kill the child. Um, but at any rate, I feel like spiritually, we're often like this little boy. We're so unaware of our weaknesses, of our own fallibility, that how easily we can fall to temptation. And we get ourselves into spiritual danger that we ought not. So. We need to not be overconfident in our own flesh. So the general principle, it's better to avoid temptation altogether when it's possible. You know, it's not always possible. But when it's possible, it's best to avoid temptation rather than flirting with it. Proverbs chapter 4, it says, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on." So Peter, he didn't pass on. This brings us to our next point in verse 17. Secondly, a disciple, when a disciple tries to follow Christ to Calvary, to do what only Christ can do, he falls into a comfortable denial. So verse 17 says, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples are you he said i am not now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves peter also was with them standing and warming himself now I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit surprised by how quickly, how easily Peter fell, right? You notice the words there. He says, I am not. Remember what Jesus had said from the sermon last week um, when he came to be arrested, they asked, are you, the, are you him? And he said, I am. And then they all fell down, right? Because Jesus declaring his divinity, that he's God. In in contrast to that, Peter says, not I am, but I am not, right? But notice how easily he does that. And I'm surprised because, you know, Peter, he's not the weakest link. Peter was arguably the strongest of the disciples, of the 12 disciples. The boldest, the one with the most courage. And yet, he falls over right away. The very first questioning. And notice, who is the first one to question him? It is kind of a lowly maid, this girl at the door. She must have been of a very low station in life, right? And so what consequence was she? In fact, she wasn't even being, doesn't seem like she's being very forceful with him even. He seems to be, it's kind of a, almost an innocent question i mean she probably she doesn't seem to like jesus she's opposed to jesus but exactly what are the consequences that peter might have faced if he had simply said admitted that he was a disciple of christ what exactly were the consequences it's hard to say but they don't seem too terrible at least at this point you know maybe he wouldn't have been let in i don't know now, the text, it mentions, you notice there's kind of, almost strangely to me, it emphasizes this fire. It keeps talking about this fire. And notice it doesn't say just any fire, but a charcoal fire. You can see that's um, another reason to think this is John who's writing this, because it seems like it's uh, eyewitness testimony. He knows exactly what kind of fire. It is not a wood fire, but a charcoal fire. But this fire, I think it, the reason, one of the reasons it's there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is represents kind of the comfort, the comfort that Peter sought and that we, that we seek. And it's this comfort which kind of led him, this desire for comfort that led him to deny the Lord. So if Peter was as bold and courageous as he had claimed previously, what might he have done instead? He might have burst in there and presented himself as a witness on behalf of Jesus. Because Jesus didn't have any witnesses on his side in his defense. All the witnesses, they were false witnesses, were testifying against him. So if he was truly as bold as he had claimed, he might have done that. But no, he doesn't do that. Or perhaps if he was more humble, he might have just simply cowered, um, gotten away from there, and went away in the dark and prayed like presumably the rest of the disciples were doing. But no, um, he thinks he can get in there with that, and it will be okay. But he goes to the fire. And standing at the fire is this group of people. And those people, you know, are the people who hate Christ. They're the enemies of Christ. And they're sitting there warm, warming themselves. And what brings them into their presence? But that he too wants to be warm. And wants the comfort of that fire. Can't stand the cold. So we should recognize that. If you and I were in that position, that we we would have done the same thing. We would have gotten right in the fire there to stay warm. You know, uh, I had a little competition with a friend of mine once. Pastor Jay talked about the Jimjilbang, the hot room, uh, the sauna before. They also have cold rooms uh, at the Jimjilbang, and I had a competition with my friend, and we said. Um, Who can stay in the cold room the longest? And whoever could stay in there the longest, um, I don't know if they want want a sandwich or something. So um, my friend and I, as you can imagine, we didn't last very long. I think it was only a few minutes. Now, I should be good at staying in the cold since I'm from Wisconsin, but I guess I've been away too long. Um, so we ran out into the comfort of the warmth of the rest of the rooms in the Jim Zivang as quickly as we could. You know, what was our motivation? We had pride to ourselves. We wanted to win the competition. So, so pride was our motivation, but it didn't, it didn't really last very long, right? It wasn't enough to actually motivate us to stay in there in the pain of the cold for long. So in contrast to us, uh, in contrast to Peter, the Lord Jesus he had a different motivation. You see, how great is his willingness to undergo discomfort, suffering. You think about it, at any point during this trial, at any point when he's on the cross, any, any point in the suffering He could have called a legion of of angels down to, to carry him away, to take him out of that suffering, to bring him into comfort, and yet he chose not to. So how very different Jesus is from us and our sin. And he endured it to the end out of love. That was his motivation, not pride. So like Peter, we will never choose Christ over comfort by our own strength. You know, there's a kind of paradox, as there is sometimes in the Bible, and that is this. The only way we can withstand temptation is to realize that we can't, that we can't can't do it on our own. So it's only when we disavow our own strength, our own ability, it's only then Um, And instead, we trust fully in Christ's strength. It's only then that we're able to withstand discomfort and suffering for the Lord. Now, I think about Peter, because we know that this is not the end of the story for Peter, right? We know that he's restored, and he goes on to suffer greatly for the Lord. What happened to Peter to change him? Is it that His own strength was somehow matured, like he got in some sort of spiritual gym, in which he was able to increase his own strength, his own flesh, so that he's able to endure the persecution. And it wasn't that many days later, actually, when you think about it, in which he was undergoing beatings and all these things and able to withstand it. Well, no, it was that he realized the power of Christ, and his own weakness, and his need to fully, completely trust in him. And you can imagine how he was transformed when he saw the risen Christ. And he was transformed and realized the power that was in Christ's resurrection, and that he was united to Christ by faith. Faith in that power, not his own. You know, um, Philippians chapter 4, it talks about this. He says, the Apostle Paul, he says, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. You could also add there in cold or warmth, He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So it's only by the power of God that we're able to withstand temptation. And this brings us to the third point. So when when the disciple tries to follow Christ to Calvary and do what only he can do, he falls into repeated sin. Let's look at verse 25 again. It says, now Simon Peter So after Peter denies the Lord once, it's not the end of it, sadly, right? You need to realize here that Peter denied the Lord not just once, not just twice, but three times. He's kind of descended into darkness in his fall, three times in a row. And there's a principle we can learn here that sin often begets sin. It can often work in a kind of domino effect. And that is because once you open up your spiritual defenses, once uh, there's an opening in your defenses, when your own pride opens up um, an opening in your spiritual defenses, the enemy takes advantage of that, takes advantage of your weakness, and attacks you more. And this is what happened to Peter. You notice how the attack, um, the opposition, it strengthened. So at first, it's just um, this uh, woman at the door, the servant girl, who wasn't pressing him too far. But then it gets pushed further, right? And finally, it's this guy who saw Peter cut off the ear of his cousin, <laughs> right? So he knows it's Peter, and yet Peter completely lies to his face. You know, the guy had to have known he was lying. I don't know how good of a liar Peter was. Didn't seem like very good. I think if you're a good Christian, you're not a very good liar. <laughs> you're not a very good liar, right? Um, so, so there's. Um, this kind of progress of sin that happens here. Now, uh, I recommended to you guys before this book is called Korean Pentecost. And uh, it's written by a um, well-known uh, old missionary to Korea. And it talks a lot about the persecution that the Koreans went under um, because of the Japanese imperial occupation. And they were forcing the Korean Christians to bow down before the emperor, um, before the shrine for the emperor. And so many Christians uh, rightfully stood against that, and so they were imprisoned by the Japanese authorities. And there was one, um, there was one guy named Kim Yunsep, I believe, and he tells a little story um, about what happened to him in the jail. So he says, it was just while he was attempting suicide that the guard called him from his cell for another period of examination. So he had been so tortured, and yet he had not denied the Lord. Rather than denying the Lord, he, was set, he attempted to kill himself, but not successfully. And then he's called once again for more interrogation. It says, on previous occasions, such a summons turned him to the Lord for strength and wisdom, and the Lord sustained him. He told me that sometimes, under the severest torture, he actually rejoiced in the Lord. But on this occasion, it was difference. The sin of attempted suicide had broken fellowship with the Lord, and such fellowship is not easily or quickly restored. He followed the guard, numb and prayerless of soul. As a matter of form, he was again ordered to bow to the shrine. And to the surprise of the police, he meekly obeyed. They were delighted at his change of mind and asked him to put his seal to a statement that it was not idolatrous to bow to a shrine. Again, in a numb way, he submitted, and he was now released and told he was free. But like Peter, Kim went out and wept bitterly. So you see, whereas before, he says, he was able to withstand their interrogation techniques, their torture on him, he says, after he had sinned by attempting suicide, it then weakened his defenses such that the very next time they pulled him in there, he automatically denied the Lord and said, oh, yeah, it's, I'll, I'll bow down before the shrine. And then they let him go. Now, this isn't the end of the story, because if you read on, you see that he was arrested again because he started preaching against bowing to the shrine again. And he was martyred um, in the end. But what application can we take from this? You see, we must not take any of our sin lightly. Now, it's pride, actually, that causes us to take our sin lightly. Because, you know, we may think that we are committing a small sin. And before God, there is there's no such thing as a small sin before God, of course. But also, we have to remember that in reality, we're opening ourselves up to spiritual attack. And we can't necessarily predict what's going to happen. I, know, I don't know about you, but have you ever sinned in a way that just shocked you, surprised you, that it kind of hit you by a surprise that you didn't think you were capable of it? Well, what is that? If you don't think you're capable of it, that's the pride in your own heart. You're not realizing that, in fact, we are capable of some of the most heinous and wicked and grave sins. Now, um, a spirit of pride tells us that we can easily stop sinning whenever we want. But we know that we're dependent, completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to stop sinning. Now, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it warns us about um, overlooking these small sins in our hearts. It says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. So we must be careful. um, Be aware of the sin in our hearts. Even a little leaven can Spread throughout our lives. So church as we've seen when a disciple of Christ thinks When a disciple of Christ thinks that he can do what only Christ can trouble ensues But we praise God that this is not the end this is not the end of the story You see we know that this section. What does it end with? It ends with something very interesting and hopeful And it's something that you might not think of as good news, but it's actually very good news. And this is the rooster's crow. The rooster's crow. You see, it's good news because it represents God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty over our lives, over this world. Even in the midst of Peter's fall, in the midst of his denial of Christ, in the midst of his worst sin, you know, Jesus knew Jesus knew exactly how Peter was going to sin beforehand. Obviously, as God, he knew for eternity, right? And he knew before, at the, at the very moment, the beginning of Christ's, uh, Peter's salvation, when he went and chose him to, to follow him, he knew. He knew this was going to happen. Yet he chose him. And so, even though it was a grave sin, it did not derail Peter's salvation. In fact, the Lord would use this experience in Peter's life to humble him, to humble Peter. And this is true. It's true for all who believe in Christ who trust in him. If you fall like Peter, when you fall like Peter, you must remember that the Lord has not given up on you. He is there to pick you up. He's there to dust you off, bring you back to himself. So in closing, hear this this word from Psalm 40. It says, he drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have grace for sinners like Peter and sinners like us. Lord, we thank you that our salvation is not dependent upon our own righteousness, our own works, but it is dependent upon the perfect work of Christ. We thank you that when Peter was denying you that the Lord Jesus was obedient, was perfectly obedient to his father did not deny his father and that he did not choose comfort but chose suffering for our salvation all the way to the end so lord we pray that we would rely not on our own flesh not on our own strength not on our own works but always when we fall, that we would turn to Christ, and that we would turn to Christ to prevent us from falling as well. So bless this congregation now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if the ushers would come forward, let's respond to the hearing of God's word as we continue to worship with the giving of our free will offerings.